Welcome to the Tax Alpha Solutions Podcast, hosted by Matt Chancy. Matt is a tax consultant, author, and certified financial planner with almost two decades helping his clients grow their net worth. On the show, Matt brings together an array of specialists to share with you their experience and success along with strategies of the 1%. And now, here's your host, Matt Chancy. Well, thanks everyone today for joining us. This is Matt Chancy, and this is the Tax Alpha Podcast. Today, our guest is Mark Dunlack, and he is the president and CEO of Pivot International. It's a U.S.-based global manufacturing product development engineering technology company with 17 offices on three continents. With over 40 years of experience under his strategic and purposeful leadership, Pivot International has led the company's growth strategy of taking an aggressively calibrated approach to organic and acquired competencies, capacity, expertise, and assets to help their customers meet their market and global clients' needs most effectively. These acquisitions have expanded their innovative capabilities and global offerings in manufacturing, engineering, biometric, security, industrial consumer, and medical product solutions. Mark holds a degree in economics and business and finance, as well as an MBA in business management and operations. Mark, thanks so much for being on the show today. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Glad to have you. Well, hey, let's start off and keep it kind of easy. I'm going to throw you a softball. Tell us a little bit about Pivot International. Yeah, we're a, we're a product design and development company and manufacturing services company. So we provide full, full turnkey product design development and manufacturing services for our clients from, from inception to idea, the challenge a client might have to an end product delivered in a, in a box, wherever they want us to deliver to. So we're completely. Give me a, paint a little picture. Give me an example of something where you started a product or something that you started with design and that we might know that, that listeners might know or be familiar with. Sure. Well, if, let's take IoT as a good, as a real hot area right now for interactive tracking, preemptive diagnostics, that kind of thing. A client comes to us says we we would really like we're a construction company. We'd really like to track all our tools and equipment and and the efficiency, and they lay out kind of their needs in the business, and from there we just we mutually together design a, a specifications for what the product needs to do what's the performance need to be, what's the environments. And from there, we go into a prototyping stage. Then we move, once we prove the feasibility out on that, we move into what we call DFM, which is designed for manufacturing, which means, really means, let's make it so it can be cost-effective, can be repetitive manufactured, proper quality and repeatability. And from that point, we move into manufacturing. It might be in Asia, it might be in the United States, Wherever the situation dictates where it should be made, we have plants around the, the world to do that. Very interesting. Complex stuff. Not, not your average, everyday, run-of-the-mill business going on over there. No, it's, it's, not, it's pretty complicated business. It's pretty technical. Um, uh, a lot of engineers, um, for sure. And, um, but it uh, keeps us busy. Well, that's good. That's good. That's all we can ask for, right? It's the people behind the scenes doing the lesser understood things that are moving the needle, right? Right. Exactly. So, you know, the past couple of years has been kind of crazy with, you know, this global pandemic. That's not something that we've all had to deal with before. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you've kind of faced over the past couple of years while dealing with this global pandemic? 
you know, when, when if you think about when people go through risk assessments in business and they list all the risks, this was not on anyone's list two and a half years ago. So it was missing in action. <laughs> so when we faced this, I mean, there were various phases that one went through. First of all, in the early, early days, we, we wanted to be assessed as critical the most important words in America, which has allowed you to continue to operate. Because if you remember in the early days, everything got shut down. And the only places they could operate were critical and essential businesses, like the Walmart, so people could get their toilet paper, et cetera. And, and so, which we um, could, which the toilet yeah, paper, yeah. which we couldn't get. You didn't realize how important that was. And so, um, so, so we got back, we had 15 or 20 products that were qualified under that edict. And so we kept all our operations. That was survival mode one before we knew about the bailouts, before we knew about the PPPs, all the things that came after that. So that was step one. Then as we moved into mode two, if you will, phase two, then it was about, okay, how do we, how do we keep operating? How do we keep designing products? How do we keep buying things and shipping things to keep the business viable? And so, um, and that took on a lot of different things. And we're still dealing with the retention of employee issues, the whole world is, especially in the United States. I mean, people are challenged by that. Uh, As things are kind of coming back to life, that's the new challenge. So this whole thing went in various phases. So about supply chain, logistics, things we all read about, and just boots on the ground around the globe, that's what saved us. Um, One of the things that's boots on the ground really saved us because we had people in those markets talking to FedEx, talking to the ports, talking to all the people directly rather than through emails. And so that helped us a great deal with it. Secondly, with our engineering know-how, it wasn't just finding parts. In many cases, we would redesign the, the current product to design into an available part that was more available than the things that were missing. So Renaissance was a chip that shut down the automakers, for example. So what we would try and try and do, you can't do it every time, but we would try and redesign certain products, functionality that could do drop, what we call drop-ins, to keep functioning. So it wasn't just chasing vendors. We also used the engineering side to create solutions. That helped us a great deal. It's very interesting. When you can't find a product, design one that you can get, right? <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Not, so not everybody more, has that luxury, Mark. No, that's right. Most people, they, they, especially when they go abroad, a middle market company, let's say, and is making their widget in Asia somewhere. They haven't designed it. Those people have. So now they're just prisoners of whatever they can do. And you really have limited options. That's really a lot of companies. Makes sense. Makes sense. So obviously that you kind of really hit there on how you handled some of the supply chain issues. Um, you know, I'd heard that there'd been maybe some, and I know you're in the AI space, that there'd been some, you know, some chip shortages and stuff. Sure. And, and how did you guys deal with that? How did that well, exactly the same thing I just described, frankly, is that we had two facets that helped us, that we had a global connection to all those sources. So in some cases, you can't redesign them out because they're specific to that product and its functionality and its performance. So sometimes you had to uh, just deal with that, that source. But we have multiple connections to Europe, to Asia, to the United States, different levels of contacts. That helped us in the years of business doing it with them. So that helped us. But, but not without challenges. It's not, it wasn't an easy deal here, but we were able to persevere. But then in cases, probably 30 or 40 percent of the time, maybe half the time, we could identify equivalent chips that could do the functionality that, that the primary design in was for. And we redesigned that out. 
we've done that a number of, there's a few fitness products that you've seen advertised. That is a good example of that. We just redesigned a chip on that product to go into another product. Did you another chip to use for the same functionality? And it's worked well. So there's a multi-prong attack and every situation is different, you know. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, it sounds like to me that there was um, certainly a benefit from having some global relationships for an extended period of time and not being a new vendor in the space per se. You know, those longstanding relationships when push came to shove got you what you needed to get. That's right. You know, that's true. That's why you got to, if you think about a supply chain just in general, you want to hard negotiate to get good prices and all the things that we all want. But you want to do it in a way that you build relationships as opposed to the iron fist where they do business with you because they want to sell stuff, but they don't really like you. Um, so there's yeah. a fine line there. People don't think about that. They think it's just going there hard and some of the big conglomerates do a lot of times. Uh, uh, but when you need favors, uh, you need to pull some favors as well. It's not win, it's not win at all costs. Right. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Good yeah, stuff. You know, you don't have to chase the last penny. Uh, you know, you can you can build some kind of you know win-win relationship. So they're they're more than kind of they're willing to go beyond the kind of the the, the normal have to do action. Sure. Yeah. 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 That's well, that's awesome. That's awesome to know that that you know having good relationships and and letting everybody not feeling like it's a zero sum game. Yeah, it can right. be win-win. You know, it's right, it can be. Important. It can work. Yeah. Yep. It can. I, I agree. I agree. So at, at Pivot International, I know you guys have had a, a deliberate and calibrated growth strategy through acquisition over the past several years. So can you tell me more about what that acquisition strategy has looked like and how you've executed? Sure. We, we looked at, we've done nine acquisitions in about four and a half years. And, and uh, uh, we've looked at three facets to those strat- that strategy. Um, technical core competency, how does it broaden our technical chops, if you will? Uh, does that bring in additional technical know-how that we lacked or were limited on? And furthermore, does that provide more manufacturing opportunities by the design projects those firms are doing? So that we did two for we acquired two engineering design firms in Europe uh, that have really came through in droves on that front. And optical engineering, imaging engineering, scanning engineering, and uh, uh, intrinsically explosion-proof design work for the North Shore oil and gas market. Both those were examples of what we brought in. And then from that, it broadened our, our breadth as well as provide additional products for us to manufacture. Because, you know, we do a lot of design and our, this model is designed to uh, provide good engineering services, but we make most of our money by making things. But the engineering is the key to it all. Uh, so, sure. yeah. So then the second facet was look at broader breadth contract, electronic contract manufacturers that didn't do design, but were large scale manufacturers that we could then use our design team to add more product development areas of their customer base while broadening our manufacturing footprint around the globe. So we originally had uh, a US based company with global engineering and largely Asian manufacturing by ownership. And then over the last seven or eight years, we've acquired a number of US based manufacturers and now we have more square footage in the United States for manufacturing than we do abroad, although they're pretty equal. It's about 350,000 square feet of manufacturing space. But that gave us both U.S. footprint of manufacturing and also, um, you know, design opportunities because they, a lot of those, most contract manufacturers don't really do product design. 
So it gives two facets of opportunity. And then the third facet of our, what we look at acquisitions are product companies. You know, they're companies that make product that we're very good at. We can go in there and use our technical knowledge of, of engineering know-how and our global supply chain organization and really add value to that product in terms of margins and growing the business and helping that customer grow their business because we can lower their costs. So both, all three have worked out quite well for us. Very nice. Very nice. Well, you know, so that makes me think the question I would want to ask is we don't think about an acquisition unless we think it pencils out ahead of time, right? But implementation and integration have a lot to do with it. So looking back, how has the integration been? Has it been as seamless as we hope or has there been some surprises? Well, there's always surprises when you buy someone. I mean, there's, there's, the only thing you know for sure is you're going to find out things you didn't know. But uh, <laughs> as a general, but, um, but for us, they've been really successful. We're up three, four times on each one of them. So across the board. and so it's worked out well. But we, I look at acquisitions in two classifications. There's the old one you always read about in the conglomerates. They buy a company, they look for every synergy they can get, rationalize the costs, take out the duplicate costs. And largely, probably three-quarters of the time, they don't really work that well um, because they've ruined the culture. They've disrupted things they didn't realize they are disrupting. We've taken what I call the bulldog approach, which is we leave them intact. We don't look aggressively for redundancy cost reduction. We don't look uh, relentlessly to synergies from a cost reduction, headcount reduction standpoint. But rather, we look at how we can add value and have them add value, and the two plus two can can grow to a six, you know. So that's the approach we've used, uh, trying to leave those cultures in place because we generally don't like to buy companies that are losers, that we want them to already be successful, and then we can add to that success. And I learned that many years ago working in a corporation, and I think um, it's worked for us quite well. I love it. That's it. That's been my favorite answer so far because everybody else is out there trying to, they're so terrified of an acquisition, who's going to get merged out and who's going to lose their right, job right, and redundancies right. and all that. And you're like, no, I want them to just keep being their good self yeah, and we're going to make right. two and two into six. I love it. Right. right. As you see so often that big companies will buy another company and, and then they'll write it off two years later or resell it. Uh, and as well as bad acquisition, that's because you messed it up largely. I mean, most often. Because they, let's rationalize customer service. Let's rationalize uh, manufacturing. And, and what, they, what they don't realize is they lose things they don't know they're losing. They think they know they've identified the whole business. And then they, stuff gets missed and customers lose connection and all those things. So, uh, so it's worked for us. It's been good. Yeah. It's not what you don't know. It's what you don't know that you don't know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because I guarantee that's, what's, that's more of those than the other. So uh, for sure. <laughs> So it's it's been fun, and and I don't think I can name one area where we hit count reduction. I mean, to be honest with you, um, we've grown though because we've grown, so we probably leveraged what they otherwise would have had to add. But you know, everyone's up three times or more since we bought it. Very nice. Very so. What impact has AI, AR, VR? Uh, having on manufacturing or product development, and that's you know art, artificial intelligence, virtual reality. Like, what is how is that having an impact on your? Well, there's there's some preemptive uh, diagnostics that that aids to that. I would even put some of the 3D technologies into that category. So that certainly speeds up the turnkey of product development, prototype development, DFM development for sure. Uh, so it's it's moved the the timeline in. 
And and it kind of starts to enter into IoT technologies too, which we're very active in. So mm-hmm. preemptive uh, type diagnostic uh, technologies we're real active on. We have IoT devices in areas like not just asset tracking, but uh, uh, major equipment around the world that does a preemptive diagnostics of preemptive maintenance needs or repair problems. And so that's more what we see as the, the major impact of all that. And it's going to continue to go on. It's going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to expand. Um, sure, it, it, in time, you could see it really having a huge impact on how you manufacture uh, on on linear manufacturing areas, customized, which is we're more into, and kind of um, non-linear type manufacturing, it's going to be more difficult. But lock and load, making a bunch of circuit boards somewhere, that's going to have a huge impact. So, and when you say IoT, just to be sure for the for the people that are out there that may not, yeah. you mean Internet of Things, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, that's so. So we're talking about the average person that might not understand this. The Internet of Things is when everything is ultimately interconnected in our refrigerator and our phones and all of that. That's right. Off the cloud. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's, yeah, that's exactly. And and then preemptive um, assessment of when your water cooler is getting low, the guy just shows up, okay, without being called. You know, it's all this preemptive kind of technologies. That's what that's where it's all at. I mean, well, wasn't uh, isn't that the precursor to Skynet when Terminators took over the world? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. There's some serious stuff to this. <laughs> I'm not all endorsing the entire pie of this thing. So uh, we need humans still. <laughs> we still need some humans. We still need us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Understand. Understood. So, um, question anything about that? This remote work thing for two years. Even people that were cheering it in the early days, the type of people that the profile of people that actually embraced it now are yearning to get back. But didn't it speed it up? I mean, right when oh, so yeah, for sure. technology oh, has always been there and it's always yeah. been trying to do this. Yeah. And, and there was a balance between humans and technology. Yeah. But when the humans right. couldn't be there, the technology kind of yeah, took yeah. off. No doubt about that. If you think about the history, the wars we've been in, the world wars. If you look at the technology advancement of World War II, it probably advanced technology innovation by 20 years just in those four-year period because there was a necessity for it. Yeah, yeah. And this was another one of those events that just set the technology on fire and made it take off. Oh, yeah. You had no choice. You had to do something to persevere. Uh, And we had the technology, thankfully, in place that was a usable tool. You know, 20 years ago, I used to do some, you know, conference calls, video calls, and it was like talking to Neil Armstrong. <laughs> yeah, the technology's come a long way, yeah, hasn't it? A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. It can still get better, but it's 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 a lot better than it was. Yeah, that's that's for sure. It could always be better. So, I mean, we just saw the metaverse stuff coming out before right. soon. We're going to be meeting in virtual metaverses, right? Yeah, that's kind of a wild thing, isn't it? I'm not sure yet what to think of that, but uh, we'll see how it evolves. Yeah, we'll we'll have to see. I'm not so sure about that. I'm wondering. I I have a my sister says it might be a little front running yet. I would agree with that. It feels like it it feels like it's way like for example when you know all the business, all the media people are just embracing because it's cool. Yeah, kind of reminds me of nanotechnology about five, eight, ten years ago. All we read about nanotechnology. 
Who's talking about nanotechnology today? Not much. You don't hear much about it. Now, it doesn't mean this isn't going on, but it's not in the media headlights anymore. Well, it's like the internet in the late 90s. Everything yeah, that had right. .com was going to change the world. Right. And some of those things did change the world, but it took right. a decade before they had the ability. It did. Exactly. It's like so, I read an article once um, back when that was going on, actually, about the analogy of radio in the 1920s RCA. And the point of the article, it was in the Wall Street Journal, actually. And they talked about the stock price of RCA. And it ran from 2 to $100 back to 2 But eventually, obviously, radio was a big thing before TVs. I mean, but it, there was a gap. And so it makes you think it's kind of in, in that kind of type of category. Yeah, it's what it feels like. It's what it feels like. So you guys have a lot of different companies across the globe. Can you, is there any of any maybe groundbreaking product that you guys have launched or that you're involved with you can share with us? Well, it's a couple of them are kind of neat is that uh, there's a 90% of all scripts, and these are critical care scripts for medicine, are taken incorrectly, either too much or too less. So we're developing, have developed a, a pill box with a microscopic scale on it that has some IoT to it as well that diagnoses and gives alerts and gives certain messaging to monitoring the proper usage of critical scripts. And, and the adoption rate has gone from 10% to 40%, although that's still not 100%, but it's a fourfold improvement. And so a lot of the pharmaceutical uh, firms in the world are very interested in that product. So it's, it's a, it provides like for, for elderly care and for hospice people and people that are not in the best of health that aren't cognitively kind of alert, uh, allows them to help them take their meds properly. So that's a pretty cool idea. Um, yeah. We, do it, we have another scale, a way scale that actually diagnoses largely for elderly that uh, they assesses your health condition, your balance, and can assess certain uh, characteristics about one's health. Uh, by just being on the scale. So that, that product's coming out as we speak. So those are a couple of pretty cool ones. Yeah. Well, so we used to have just scales, and then we had scales that could tell us how much body fat or how much water we had, and now we can have scales that can tell us if we're healthy or not. Yeah, huh? that's right. Yeah, it's quite amazing. Who would have thought, right? Yeah. Who would have thought it, right? Yeah. That's right. That's right. What an evolution. What an evolution. Exactly. exactly. We do a lot of other things, too. We made a surgical drill driver for... Uh, reconstructive surgery so it has sensors so it allows the surgeons to more effectively and more quickly uh, put all the um, reconstruction screws in your in your bone structures or fixing you up and so a lot of different things like that it's not just medical but that seems like the, the coolest ones seem to be in medical you know well, look, anything, you know, I, I had a friend tell me recently about the hip surgery that he had, how it was a different type of hip procedure where he was back up and functioning in a matter of just a few short weeks instead of months, like wow. some of the older procedures. So, yeah, that anything in medical technology that gets a human back to feeling human oh, yeah. a little bit faster. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah like, health, what else do we have, right? Yeah, yeah. With well, I mean, you can have if you don't, you can have time and money, but if you don't have your health, what's the point, right? That's the problem. You know, Steve Jobs doesn't do as doing much good right now, does it? No, no, no. no that's yep. that's a yep. that's a good point. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you sharing. So, how could our audience today learn more about you know Pivot International, and if they wanted to reach out and contact you, how's the easiest way to do something like that? This way, do it in two folds. I guess you could um, go out to www.pivotint.com. That's our website. And from there, you can learn about the company and 
contact us and all the rest or email me at mdonalek at pivotint.com. Probably the two best ways to do it. Sounds like a play. Well, well, any final thoughts, anything I didn't ask or anything you want to add? Well, I think you covered it well. It's uh, been a good journey and we got more growth to go and uh, we're looking forward to the post-COVID era. Probably more opportunity than you realize than you can capitalize on, right? Yeah, that's probably, that's true. You are limited with your engineering resources. And so we have about 150 global design engineers, a thousand total employees, but that's, everyone's looking for technical people in the world. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a scarcity right now. Human capital issues are across the board, no matter what industry, finding good people that want to work is a hard Absolutely. It's amazing how challenging it is, but yeah. For one person, it's a challenge. For another person, it's an opportunity if oh, they look yeah. at it that way, right? Yeah, it's, it's easier to recruit people because everyone's looking. So. Yeah, just go out and get good at what you need to get good at, yeah, and there's an opportunity right. for you, right? That's right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, Mark, everybody, Mark Donlack, um, appreciate you coming on today with Pivot International. Um, thanks so much for sharing a little bit of insight with your company and the cool medical technology stuff that you guys are you know, launching out there that's going to make the world a better place. Well, so, thank you much, man. I appreciate the time and it was a pleasure meeting you. Absolutely. Well, thanks everyone for tuning into the podcast today. Uh, this was another episode of with Matt Chancy on the Tax Alpha podcast. Everybody have a great day. Thank you for listening to another episode of Tax Alpha Solutions brought to you by Matt Chancy. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and insight. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts.